Listener Production. So yesterday on The Briefing, we had the opposition leader, Peter Dutton, here arguing against The Voice. Today, one day before the big referendum day, we speak to the government and Senator Malandiri McCarthy has stepped up for the government for this interview. She's the Assistant Minister for Indigenous Australians. She's also a Yanua and Garua woman from the Gulf Country in the Northern Territory. We have such high rates of suicide, incarceration rates. Our babies are born with low birth weights. And so for First Nations people to feel that they can give direct advice to the parliament, then surely that's got to be a good thing. That's Senator Malandiri McCarthy making the case for a yes vote in our briefing. First, today's headlines with Rihanna Patrick. It is Friday the 13th of October. After months of campaigning, tomorrow Aussies will head to the polls to vote on the voice referendum. Over 6 million have voted already, 4 million of those at an early polling centre and 2 million have applied for a postal vote. But the latest polling continues to point to defeat for the voice, with the final YouGov poll published yesterday showing support for the no camp at 56% against 38% for yes. Yeah. It's a bit sad for the Yes campaigners. I saw an interesting piece in the Financial Review this morning, um, quoted Noel Pearson from a private event earlier in the week saying he'd conceded that the no vote was likely to win and nothing they'd been able to do had melted the hearts of the hard no voters. And this will be a crushing defeat for him. He's been working towards this since the 2000s in the Howard era. Rihanna, you're a Torres Strait Islander. How are you feeling about the whole thing? Look, I'll be glad when it's all over. Can I be honest? It has been mentally yeah. a lot to take on. Um, and I know from just talking to my own circle of friends and other Indigenous people that I know that a lot of us have pre-polled. Um, a lot of us are not sure about um, being amongst that on Saturday, despite the fact that there could be a democracy sausage. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's it's been a lot to kind of sit back and to watch all of that unfold, knowing that this is about your life. This actually dictates what happens in your life, the way that policies roll out for yourself. So it's quite a surreal thing to watch, but I think we are all, you know, mentally just exhausted at this point in time. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine. And Australia's top intelligence officer has warned that tensions over the Israel-Gaza conflict could cause opportunistic violence here in Australia. So this is a pretty rare public warning. Um, the head of ASIO, Mike Burgess, doesn't speak very often, but he came out yesterday saying that inflamed language could fuel community tensions and lead to that opportunistic violence. Um, this comes as another pro-Palestinian protest is planned in Sydney this Sunday, despite the New South Wales Premier, Chris Minns, saying it wouldn't be allowed to go ahead. Yeah, and an interesting intervention here, Tom. I mean, he distinguished between opportunistic violence from a planned terror attack, but he hasn't lifted that terror threat level, um, but they are on alert as tensions continue. And in some lighter news, Trump is demanding an apology from Forbes after being cut from the wealthiest list again. Now, the former president declared his apology on Truth Social, writing, I hereby demand a full apology from the failing Forbes magazine. Now, Forbes magazine dropped him from the list of the 400 wealthiest people in the US because they said his net worth was $600 million less than the year before. So he's down to $2.6 billion, which made him $300 million short of the list. Tom, this is 
He's been on this list since the 1990s, except mm. for 2021. Yeah, so he's not happy about it. I mean, there's two kinds of rich people. There's sort of rich people that like to be on the rich list and there's some that are probably pretty happy to be left off it and, <laughs> you know, keep their privacy. But Trump's clearly not happy. It's not good for brand Trump to be dropped off the rich list. So, yeah, that's the second time in two years. Um, pretty interesting. If you're wondering who is on it, well, you guessed it. Elon Musk is still right at the top. Uh, what's he got? He's on $250 billion. So, you know, wasting about $20 billion on Twitter hasn't done that much damage to him. Then it goes to Jeff Bezos, Larry Ellison from Oracle, Warren Buffett, Larry Page from Google, Bill Gates. Then it goes from there. Mark Zuckerberg just sneaking in at number eight into the top 10. I mean, I think he's got a lot of other things to be worried about than the list of 400 wealthiest people, uh, like maybe the 91 criminal charges and assorted civil threats that he's currently facing. But he did make another list, though, Tom. Let's be fair, he he did make the Forbes Global Billionaires list at 1,201st place. Okay. Well, you should be proud of that. All right. Great to have you on the briefing again, Rihanna. I'm about to interview Malandiri McCarthy. All right, now to our interview with Labor Senator Malandiri McCarthy, the Assistant Minister for Indigenous Australians. Senator McCarthy, thank you so much for joining us here on The Briefing. Hello, Tom, and hello to all your uh, listeners and viewers. So Peter Dutton was on this podcast yesterday arguing that the voice would not make a practical difference in the lives of Indigenous people. Why do you think it would? It's First Nations people who've asked us, uh, Tom, to take this to the Australian people uh, to support them in their generous request for recognition in the Australian Constitution uh, through a voice to the Parliament and the Executive so that they can give advice on matters that impact them. And let me remind all Australians that we're talking about 3 to 4% of the population and uh, we have such high rates of suicide, incarceration rates, our babies are born with low birth weights. And so for First Nations people to feel that they can give direct advice to the parliament, then surely that's got to be a good thing. Mm. Well, it's the surely bit I want to explore. Sure. Why are you sure that having this advisory body, advising government and the departments on policies affecting Indigenous people, how do you know that would make a difference? or an improvement in the way those policies are chosen, devised, implemented? I know this because for two reasons. One is that it's First Nations people who gathered on Anangu country in 2017 and reached out to all of Australia and asked for this simple request. So it didn't come from politicians, it didn't come from Canberra, but it came from a combination of so many conversations, thousands of conversations that were had across the country, which culminated with the gathering on Anangu country in 2017. That is one very important point that seems to be overlooked in all of this. The second point is this. When you look at our Aboriginal community health sector, when you look at our ranges across Northern Australia, you know that there are successful programs working because they are doing it. The reason why people have asked for this to be enshrined is that Whatever government is in power, whether it's Labor, whether it's Liberal or whoever, 
if it's enshrined, then First Nations people know they will always have a voice that is protected in the Constitution. Okay, so drill down further into those policy areas. You mentioned health there or Indigenous rangers. Are there are there other examples, maybe examples where policies have gone wrong, where you think an Indigenous voice would have improved the outcome? Can you cite any examples? Well, I can certainly speak from a very personal example, Tom, and that was uh, in 2007 when the Northern Territory Intervention was a piece of Commonwealth legislation that the then uh, John Howard government uh, declared on the Northern Territory. They did that so they, they could intervene in the lives of First Nations people only in the Northern Territory. And uh, that had a deeply profound impact. At the time, they sent in a uh, defence force uh, in places like Murujulu, for example, mm. where families uh, took to the hills thinking that their children were being taken again for a second time. That legislation occurred without any conversation, any discussion with First Nations people. You know, we could look at that and say for the next, you know, 15 years that uh, legislation stayed in place, followed along when the Labor government got in with the Stronger Futures legislation, so it wasn't removed, but still there was no discussion with First Nations people. So are you saying that if we had a a voice to Parliament in 2007, that the Northern Territory intervention wouldn't have happened? I'm saying that if there had been, or if there was even today, a decision to make laws for the Northern Territory, then include First Nations people. Because when you do, you will have better results and better outcomes with the intent of what that legislation may be. And I think that when we look at previous examples like the NTER, had they consulted with First Nations peoples, had they included uh, these organisations across the Northern Territory, I'm sure we would have seen a different outcome. Would we have seen it not happen at all or just a different version of it? Well, let's remember that this is about advice to the Parliament and it will be up to the Parliament to determine whether they take that advice, Tom. So Mm. if the First Nations voice gives advice, uh, it will either give advice on whether the policy is a good policy and if it's not a good policy, then I would expect it would give reasons as to how you could make it a better policy. Uh, that's what we would want to see. But the government of the day could ignore that and say we're going ahead anyway, right? Like the intervention could still have happened. It's certainly an advisory committee, so it doesn't have veto powers. The parliament still remains supreme. Mm. Okay, so Peter Dutton also argued on on this podcast yesterday that if Anthony Albanese had chosen a, a tighter set of words for the constitutional change and also given more detail earlier on in the campaign, that Peter Dutton would have supported the voice. Do you believe that? This process was begun under a coalition government. Mm. So for Peter Dutton to turn around now and say there is not enough details, well, it clearly shows that he has no interest whatsoever in advancing uh, the interests of First Nations people or listening to the very generous request of First Nations people. So you're saying he wasn't telling the truth when he said a tighter set of words might have got him over the line or or answering his 15 questions at the start of the year and that open letter would have got him over the line? You don't think that's true? If he was really interested and actually reflected on what was being asked here, it's simply an advisory committee to the parliament, uh, Mm. then I would think that Peter Dutton would, uh, would see the simplicity in that, Tom. 
And I think it's disingenuous that uh, there is repeated calls for details when we all know that this is about a question of principle uh, in terms of the Constitution. Is this the kind of country we want to be? Are these the values that we hold? If the Australian people say yes to the question, then it will be up to the parliament to determine the legislation. That is Mm. as it should be. We've seen polling just go down and down the support for The Voice since the start of the year. Do you wish you'd gone about this differently? Do you wish you'd gone about the referendum much more quickly? Has it dragged out for too long? Well, for First Nations people, they asked for this in 2017. Uh, So it is a long time, but much of that time was under the previous coalition government. We came into power 18 months ago, and when we came to the election 18 months ago, we said, if we are elected, we will take that request of the First Nations people and put it to the Australian people, and that's exactly what we're doing. But that was last May. We're now in October 2023. The debate's gone all year and it hasn't been good in, in polling support for the Yes campaign. So in hindsight, and I know we're talking with the benefit of that, was that a mistake? Should you have done it much more quickly after the election? Tom, I look at the polling and uh, I also reflect on the fact that uh, uh, people expected us to win in 2019. All the polls showed that we would and it was a devastating loss. And since then, I've learned that the only poll that matters is really the one <laughs> on the day. And as I travel across the country, Tom, I've campaigned Uh, for nearly two decades. I feel that the Australian people are showing me something very different to what I'm seeing in the polls. Okay. Well, we're going to find out very soon whether that's true or not. (laughs) Absolutely. We know that referendums are tough, and I've said that from the get-go. You've got to have the double majority, and we have to win four states. Our opponents only have to win Mm. three. So clearly it's a much tougher battle for those in the yes side to win that but I am quietly confident that we are uh, getting the support that we require on the ground and let's see if that uh, shows in the in the votes that come through on Saturday night. So you've been out saying that the referendum is like a grand final for Indigenous Australians, yes versus no. So to follow the analogy that you've been using, how do you feel that prominent Indigenous Australians haven't been playing for the same team? Well, isn't that the case for for most of our uh, grand finals, Tom? I mean, people pick their sides. One of the wonderful things I love about our country is we are a democracy and we can agree to disagree respectfully and peacefully and it's important we maintain that. There have been moments where I think the debate has uh, uh, gone into areas which I think are very dark. I think some of the social media components have been uh, unhelpful Uh, but I continue to call for the kind of respect that's required Uh, and hopefully at the end of it we can all just agree with with the decision of the Australian people and we've certainly said that on our side. We would certainly uh, uh, respect and accept the decision of the Australian people. How do you think um, Senator Jacinta Price has handled herself in this debate? I'm sure there are going to be moments where all of us are going to reflect on the way we've uh, handled this debate, Tom, and I think they're questions for Senator Price uh, to consider. But I would just say to what, Australians... What were her moments that, of reflection or sh- should they be, do you think? Well, that's going to be a question for her, Tom. Uh, what I would say is that uh, the experiences that I've had are very different to Senator Price and, and I reflect that in uh, what I put forward to the Australian people. Yeah, I found that quite interesting how, how two passionate Northern Territory 
Indigenous women, and you are from very different parts of the Territory. You're from the Gulf. She's from around Alice Springs. How have you arrived at such different positions on this proposal? Well, I think it's a very human story, isn't it, Tom, that uh, everyone's an individual at some point and uh, we all reflect the experiences that we have. Uh, mine is certainly very different and I see Australia in a very different way to, to my opponents and I encourage all Australians to, to listen and to discern deeply as to what they feel is the right way to go here. Well, she's been arguing along with a few other Indigenous leaders Warren Mundine and others as well, not just those two, that having a permanently enshrined voice for Indigenous Australians in particular in the Constitution is permanently entrenching disadvantage. Is there any truth to that argument? Not at all. Uh, What it would do is give our country a fresh start in terms of relationships between First Nations people and uh, non-Indigenous Australians. I think it would also signal that we are ready to embark on a better and brighter future that encourages our people who are despairing and our young children who feel there is no hope that they attempt to take suicides or some who actually do suicide will see that there is a future here in a country that does love them. Is there a future in a country that loves them if the vote is no? One of the things I've found as a First Nations woman, Tom, and I think that's an important question, is that we have had major disappointments over centuries uh, in our battles to still exist. And 65,000 years later, we're still here and we're not going anywhere. How have you handled this debate? You've been out there campaigning Mm -hmm. for The Voice very publicly as a Labor senator. Has it been hard? It's been an honour. Actually, Tom, uh, it's been a real honour. I, uh, I feel from my own experiences and where I've grown up, it's wonderful to be a part of a decision-making process, which I hope will fall in our favour and to give it the best shot that I can. I do believe our country is a good country. I think we can be much better. And I do believe that uh, we are ready to embrace our history that goes back over 60,000 years and continues to share that history with all Australians who call this place home. Malandiri, great to speak to you. Thanks for your time on The Briefing. No worries, Tom. Thank you very much. And vote yes. That was Labor Senator Malandiri McCarthy, the Assistant Minister for Indigenous Australians. She's a Yanua and Garua woman from the Northern Territory. As you can hear, she's campaigning till the end for tomorrow's referendum, boldly predicting the polls could be wrong which is unlikely, but we will find out on Saturday night. I really hope you've enjoyed our series of interviews on The Voice, really trying to drill into the arguments of both sides. Um, We've had Noel Pearson, Warren Mundine, Peter Dutton. Um, If you've enjoyed them, please rate and review us in your podcast app um, wherever you listen to us. That would really help us. It helps us find new listeners. And you can also share those apps with your friends on social media if they want to do a bit of last-minute studying up in the last few hours before the vote. Thank you so much for listening. Listener.